Amen. Uh, today's reading comes from Second Corinthians, chapter four, verses sixteen to eighteen. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is re- being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. All right, good morning, guys. Apologies for all the, the technical difficulties this morning. We're going to tweak a few settings, but uh, hopefully it'll stabilize and uh, we'll be okay for the rest of the service. Thank you guys for bearing with us. We appreciate you guys. Thank you guys for joining us online. So we finished our sermon series today about facing our fears in times of uncertainty. And I wanted to end us in 2 Corinthians 4. And this is where we see the stark contrast between Paul's suffering in his life and in his ministry um, next to uh, the glory and the riches of Jesus that awaits him on this other side of creation. You know, in our entire series, you know, we, we never wish for suffering, but we also, we don't ignore suffering because we can't, right? We can't escape it in this fallen world. And so we learn to face it head on. And what I love about uh, the Christian worldview, the Christian belief of suffering is not only do I believe that it's actually true, but that there's so much meaning and purpose in all of it, right? In all of life, even the seemingly mundane things of life, everything is working towards something greater, even our suffering. And so nothing is wasted. If we look at our own Western secular culture and its worldview, suffering seems more um, random right, and meaningless. In this worldview, our lives and our purpose will be simply to minimize pain, suffering, and hardships and to elevate comfort and security and happiness. And then when trouble comes, as hard as we try to avoid it, man, we are lost. We're confused. We don't know what to do. And so we're not always prepared to deal with suffering. Tim Keller, in his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, he says this about our Western culture's take on suffering. Sociologists and anthropologists have analyzed and compared the various ways that cultures train its members for grief, pain, and loss. And when this comparison is done, it is often noted that our own contemporary secular Western culture is one of the weakest and worst in history at doing so. You see, Keller is arguing that our Western secular answer to pain and suffering is inadequate. It doesn't prepare us and equip us as a society. It doesn't equip us well to suffer. But for the Christian, if our suffering has meaning and purpose and to the degree that we actually believe that it does, then we will live very differently in light of our present suffering as we look forward to a renewed future. We will live with so much hope and so much joy. We'll learn to not lose heart. And so let's jump right in. We have uh, four points this morning. 
Um, the context, we do not lose heart, this momentary affliction and looking to the eternal. The context kind of throws it a little bit off, but um, it helps to categorize uh, some of these thoughts. So first, the context. This one will be a short point for us. To give context to the verses that we're talking about this morning, you know, during the time of Paul writing this letter to the Corinthian church, you know, there were some people that opposed him. They argued that Paul could not have been um, the, an apostle. God could not have been with him. He couldn't have been empowered by the Holy Spirit because he was suffering, because he um, had all these setbacks and weaknesses, right? And so they challenged his apostleship. They challenged his authority. They challenged his gospel message. And then we see something similar in the book of Job, right? Job's uh, friend in chapter six, he says, he says this, right? He says, if God is for you, you won't suffer, right? Good guys don't suffer. The bad guys suffer. And that's kind of a normal thought and question for us to think about, right? We believe that if God is for us, then surely, surely we'll have a prosperous and a successful life. Surely we'll have that spouse, that kid, that family life, that house and that job that we've been waiting so patiently for, working so hard for, won't we? But again and again, we see in the Bible that being a child of God does not necessarily mean that we'll have prosperity in this life, at least not in the prosperity that we think of. So I don't want you guys to miss this point. Prosperity and suffering in your life is not a good indicator of whether God is for you or against you. And of course, Paul knows this, so he pushes back on his opponent, opponents, right? He argues that his weakness and the suffering does not mean that God is uh, not with him, but they're actually the very things that display the glory of God in his life and in his ministry, right? They confirm the gospel. Paul's suffering and weakness are the very things that are necessary to show that the gospel is not about him. It's not about his glory. It's not about his achievements or strengths. It's about God and his glory and what he bestows upon us. Paul is simply an instrument in the hands of a glorious God. In a few verses earlier to our passage, Paul explains this further, right? He writes that famous line that we have this treasure of the gospel in jars of clay, meaning we are these ordinary people. We are just these weak and broken vessels that are holding this invaluable treasure, this, this worth of God. It's sort of like when um, I was ring shopping with Lauren over 13 years ago, and we went to the Stanford Shopping Center where they have all these fancy shops. And uh, so we went to Tiffany, uh, Tiffany's and Cartier's. And at that time I was working as an EMT on the ambulance for um, Alameda County. And I was working full time, making $12 an hour. And so I remember going to Tiffany's and I was holding this ring. I think it was like 8,000 or $10,000. And I was like, this is crazy, right? <laughs> this, is, this is like so expensive. It was a fortune to me, right? I ended up buying something cheaper online. Um, but this is like Paul and the gospel. This is like us and the gospel. We are simply God's ambassadors displaying this fortune, this glory, this weight, this worth. So this is the context leading up to our sermon passage this morning. Paul is saying that his suffering, our suffering has a purpose. So let's look now to our verses. This comes to our second point. We do not lose heart. Verse 16 reads this. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 
there are two things I want to talk about here in verse 16, the wasting way of our bodies and the renewal of our inner being. So very simply, we talk about death and we talk about renewal. So death, right? Death is one of those things that none of us can escape. Um, we're, we try to eat healthier. We try to exercise more. You know, recently I bought a Fitbit. I started running, doing cardio more, um, tracking my running, tracking my sleeping to make sure I'm healthy. Um, I've been taking niacin, which is B vitamins to try, hopefully help lower my cholesterol. And like a lot of you guys, um, you know, I do a lot of self-care, take vitamins and supplements. We try to take care of our physical bodies to prolong its functions, to prolong our lifespan. You know, I read somewhere that uh, LeBron James, he spends a million, one and a half million dollars on his body alone per year. Right? I know that's like a dollar compared to, to, to uh, LeBron James, but that's a lot of money. He's trying to prolong his career, prolong his body and his life. We'll do routine checkups at the doctors. We'll go to the optometrist. We'll go to the dentist. Any, any sign of um, sickness or something that's wrong, we'll do procedures. We'll have surgery. Um, we'll take our medicines because we're trying to prolong our lives. There's so many movies and shows about living beyond our normal lifespans too. Um, I just watched this Netflix show on... Uh, um, is a sci-fi show called Alter Carbon, and some of these characters are hundreds and hundreds of years old. And how they survive is they um, insert their soul and their conscience into these little things called stacks, right? And um, their bodies are these manufactured bodies. And so when the bodies begin to wear out uh, and, and begin to die or they're killed, then as long as the stack is intact, they just transfer it to another body, and they call that resleeving, right? These bodies are just sleeves. You see. We try so hard to avoid death and suffering as much as possible, but we know it's inevitable. Over time, our bodies wear out. We begin to die. We begin to pass away. We've had many loved ones that have passed. Accidents, disasters, sicknesses, wars have claimed many lives. Uh, just this week, um, uh, I read that there's over 300,000 deaths right, from the coronavirus in a short amount of time globally. It's crazy. This reminds us of our fragility, our mortality. It reminds us of our brokenness and our suffering because of sin's curse. We are reminded that something is not right. We need somebody or someone to come and make things right again. While we ourselves can't reverse the curse of death or sin, we look to the one who has begun to break and reverse this curse, right? We look to Jesus who lived and died and rose for us to begin the renewal of all things. And that renewal begins first spiritually. It begins in our hearts. Inner renewal here means that we are growing inwardly. Our hearts, our spirit, our inner being, it's growing, it's being, it's being renewed as we abide in Jesus. And notice, uh, notice here that Paul says we are being renewed day by day. This means that this isn't just a one-time set it and forget it type of thing. It's something that is happening to us daily as we actively look towards the things that are unseen. And we're going to talk about that in, uh, in just a moment when we go into verse 18. But you know, when we first believe and when we first put our trust uh, and in Jesus for our salvation, we are saved. Our faith is secured by the blood of Jesus. But God is not done growing us. 
And what it means to be renewed day by day is that God refreshes our spirit and our souls and our hearts daily as we seek him and grow in faith. Now think about our cars. Now think about our gas cars and electric cars, whatever it may be. Um, as we drive them, they begin to deplete with fuel and energy, right? And then we have to go back to a gas station to fuel up or we have to go drive back home to plug in. Think about anything that needs energy to operate. Even stars like the sun will eventually burn out given enough time. Now think about us as people, right? We constantly need food, water, and sleep to physically be healthy, to live, and to operate. We get physically depleted very easily. Now think about our mental health and our spiritual health. It's no different, right? Those things also become depleted. We've all experienced mental and spiritual depletion. But when we feel mentally and spiritually depleted, how do we fill up? What does being renewed look like exactly? Well, the most important thing to know is that spiritual renewal comes from resting in the gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for us in securing our salvation. Right? The more we focus on God and what he has done for us through Jesus, the more we will be in awe and worship God. God's grace and love is ultimately what renews us and transforms us. But active ways we can grow in this renewal is by spending time with God, growing in our knowledge of God and the gospel, reading our Bibles, hearing from the very words that God has spoken to us, praying and talking with God, having a set quiet time every day to do this, even if it's just 10 minutes, man, it's so important. And I know it's not easy, right? Because it takes work. But I want to encourage you guys in this. You know, take baby steps for starters. If not every day, schedule something every other day, uh, whatever it may be. You know, set an alarm, but be intentional. And you know, as you have these personal times with God, ask Him very simply to renew your spirit, to grow your faith and trust in Him. Ask God to comfort and strengthen you in the storms of life. Other ways to be renewed by the gospel is by joining others on Sundays for worship, kind of like what we're doing here, but ideally it'd be in person and hopefully that'll be soon. It's hearing the gospel being expounded on from the pulpit, right? Being part of a community group, being part of the men's group or the women's group, joining prayer meetups, hearing and learning from discussions and studies, hearing uh, different people pray and learning from each other. This is how we get renewed and that renewal will cause us to love and worship God more. It will cause us to love and serve others more. I know what ends up happening sometimes is that instead of being renewed by resting in Jesus and resting in the gospel, we find other ways to be renewed. We get our quick dopamine hits and fixes with substances, with likes on our social media posts, with binge watching Netflix shows, with shopping, going on vacation, eating as much as we can. Man, we'll find so many other things to fill our hearts and our souls because we're depleted, right? We're looking for that soul satisfaction, that soul con contentment, and we find it in so many things other than Jesus. And these things aren't all bad, but when we turn to these for soul fulfillment instead of Jesus, we will never be satisfied enough. So church, I want us to see that our daily and daily renewal and growth comes not from these quick fixes, but from resting in the daily mercies 
and blessings of God. It's intentionally seeking God in our personal quiet times. It's seeking God within our church community. And hopefully our community will always point you back to Jesus, the source of life and renewal and rest. And so this is why we don't lose heart. We are being renewed. We are growing. There is purpose. Even in the midst of wasting away, even in the midst of death and suffering, there is purpose. This brings us to our next point, uh, this momentary affliction. And so we've established that suffering and death are inescapable, but we don't lose heart because suffering um, has a purpose, right? It displays God's glory and it renews us. And then verse 17 says this, we are told that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let's break that down a little bit. How can our suffering be light and momentary? Momentary, I can understand, right? We all uh, go through bad times in life and eventually we come out of it. Um, but how can it be light? How can Paul say that our suffering, our afflictions are light? Sure, maybe if we're running, we trip and fall, we bruise our knees, we scrape our elbows, that is light and momentary. If we get into a fender bender, um, if we lose our keys, I would consider that light and momentary. But what about your five-year-old that is dying from sickness? Your five-year-old who has died in a car accident? What about all the injustices of the world? How can Paul call that light? Well, if we look back in chapter one of his letter, in verse eight, we'll have it for you, up for you on the screen. Paul recounts his suffering. He says this, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. You know, scholars, they're not exactly sure what happened to Paul since we're not told by Paul in these letters. But whatever it was, Paul did not describe this as light and momentary. He explicitly says that this affliction was so utterly burdened beyond his strength that he despaired of life itself. And then three chapters later in our sermon passage, he calls his afflictions light. Right? How can that be? You see, Paul understands suffering more than most of us ever will. So he does not dismiss it at all. But what he's doing here is he's making a comparison. He's seen and he's tasted the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And he says, oh my God, there's nothing that can even compare to you. His momentary suffering feels lighter when next to the eternal glory of God. He knows that he possesses this greatest treasure in the gospel. Nothing can take it away from him. So it fills him with so much courage and boldness, even in the midst of suffering. And he unashamedly, for the gospel, comes and, and lives his life boldly, come what may, no matter what. Paul knows that his suffering is purposeful. It's renewing him as he trusts in the Lord to sustain him. He knows that glory is breaking through and it awaits him on the other side of creation this creation that is wasting away. Even when his suffering is so great, even when the weight of his suffering feels like it's beyond his strength to carry, even when he feels hopeless, 
He can say with tears in his eyes that it's light and momentary next to the weight of eternal glory that is beyond all comparison that is his and ours to have. Lauren and I, we have um, four kids, and I'm not going to speak for Lauren's side since I didn't physically birth the babies. Um, I just chaired and cut the umbilical cord and took pictures uh, when they were each birthed. But I'll speak from my experience as a dad. Having kids is one of the most tiring things in life. There's absolutely no joke about it. The jump from no kids to one kids really messes you up. It messes up your sleep schedule. It'll never be the same again. Both parents, um, especially the mom, is so sleep deprived, right? Because baby is so dependent on mom. But then having two kids from one, like, there's just no escape. <laughs> and then there's three, and then there's four, and I don't even know anymore. When the kids are babies and they're pretty young, they're super dependent on us as parents. I would say that these are not necessarily light and momentary afflictions. Sure, they're joyful afflictions, but they are afflictions. They're also not momentary. It's been 10 years and it's still been going. There have been many moments that I've seriously felt what Paul describes as uh, feeling so utterly beyond, utterly beyond, burdened beyond my strength. And I wouldn't go so far as um, being despairing of life itself, but man, no doubt there are moments where the kids are screaming and crying and I just sat there completely at the end of my rope. But I can personally say that in the last several years, every negative thing, all the throw-ups, all the poops, all the unending mess and accidents and ER visits, all the fighting, bickering, non-stop bickering, don't bicker kids. <laughs> it's really nothing compared to the fact that these are the awesome kids that God has given to me and to Lauren. Man, I love my family so much. I love the kids. I love Lauren. I think they're so funny and beautiful and sweet. And whatever affliction comes within my family, I can honestly say, that is light compared to the fact that I've been given such a great family. Church, it's very easy for us to get bogged down by the storms of life. There's no denying that. The storms are inescapable. We are all in this broken world together. And so we walk together. We remind one another of glory that awaits us, of Jesus, our end goal, our prize, he awaits. And we have this hope and glory even now. It's not fully realized yet, but we eagerly, eagerly await the fullness of it. This is our hope, church. This is what comforts us. We don't always know specifically why God does what he does in the ways that he does it in his time, but no suffering we go through is in vain. This is what we are told explicitly, right? Through our afflictions, God says he's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Church, do you believe that? This brings us to our last point, looking to the eternal. The gospel story is one of perfect creation that is ruined by the sin of Adam and Eve and the fall, right? So now we are currently living in this fallen creation, this fallen world, but we are redeemed. We're being renewed by Jesus, right? And now we're looking forward to glory that awaits us. We're waiting for its fullness. But while we're here, we're in this 
uh, weird transition period of the kingdom of God breaking through uh, with Jesus coming, with the church being birthed, but we're not fully there yet. In this time of transition, there's still so much groaning. There's so, so much longing for the fullness of Jesus to return, to make all things right, to make all things new. And Paul says this in verse 18. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, while we're um, uh, in this in-between state of the already and not yet, we look to the things that are unseen, right? We look to the things that are eternal. Our focus should be on looking on Jesus and the kingdom of heaven in its fullness. We're still waiting. We shouldn't be focusing on the things that are seen or transient and temporary. Or in other words, um, we don't focus primarily on the things that we see within uh, the world as we know it. And this is a bit tricky, right? Because experientially, we are immersed in this world, but we cannot physically see God. And so this is why we get lost with things in this world. Um, Let's take uh, the movie Matrix, for example. This movie is old enough uh, that I think I won't be able to ruin it for you. But if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it for you. Shame on you. It starts with these bad guys, these bad guy agents. They're hunting down Neo. Um, They're hunting down Neo for some reason. And Neo is being played by Keanu Reeves. And that reason is that Neo realized that the world that he lives in is not all there is. He knows that there is something out there, another realm or another dimension. He's not sure what it is, but it's called the Matrix. And he's trying to find out what the truth is, and so that truth pulls him in. So Neo, he eventually meets this good guy, Morpheus, played by Lawrence Fishburne. It tells him that, he, uh, and Morpheus tells him what the Matrix is. Morpheus offers Neo this blue pill and a red pill, and he says this, you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And so Neo, he leans in, he grabs the red pill, he grabs a cup of water, downs the red pill, and the adventure begins. He comes to see the truth that the world that he's been living in is simply this digital social construct created by this artificial intelligence alien entity that plugs the human's minds into this construct, into this dream of life, but in reality, These alien machines are farming human bodies for energy. So Neo, he escapes the matrix, he takes the red pill, he unplugs from the machine, and he has this existential crisis, but he slowly understands that his entire life before unplugging, it was nothing but a dream. My point in giving this illustration is obviously not that we're being farmed by aliens, but that there's another dimension there is another realm, another world that we know about, we've read about, we talk about it, we long for it, but we cannot fully see it yet. This is what our verse is telling us about. It's telling us about an unseen world. Let me give another short example. You know, something that I love doing almost every night is reading to the kids. Um, I started reading the Chronicles of Narnia a few months back and all the kids were interested at first, right? They, they were very excited for this. 
um, but slowly they begin to lose interest, except for Max. Max loves these stories. He asked me to read to him every night. Even last night, we read a chapter. We're currently on the voyage of the Dawn Treader, and it's book five of seven, and he loves it, right? And what I love about reading this series to Max is that it's full of imagination and fantasy. It's full of adventure and magic and battles and animals, talking animals. There are good guys, there are bad guys, there are heroes, there are villains. There's sacrifices being made for one another. The main characters of the Pevensey children, they're just these ordinary kids that live in London. They just happen to stumble upon a magical world that throws them into all sorts of adventures. And I love this book, these stories, because it is very much our reality. In the Christian story that we live in now, we believe that there's something beyond what we see in our world. And it calls to us. And like Neil or the Pevensey kids, we seek it out. And we find that in reality, we were really a part of this world. We were created for this world. This doesn't mean that we ditch this world and just long for the next world, right? This doesn't mean we despise our lives here. It doesn't mean we don't work and live to the best of our ability to serve the people here and to better this world. This doesn't mean we can't enjoy the good and beautiful things in this life that God has given to us. We don't neglect this world and our lives here, not at all. But all of the good things in this world are not the end goal. Both the good and the bad things are simply pointing us to the unseen. It's pointing us to the eternal. It's pointing us to God and the better world that lies ahead. And this better world is really just a renewal and a restoration of this world that we live in. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, he says this. Our Father refreshes us on a journey with some pleasant inns, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. And then later in the same book, he says this. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, whether we are enjoying the good things, the blessings of this life, or whether we are suffering in pain and agony in this life, all of it points us to the unseen. We must learn not to lose focus on the eternal because we all know how easy it is, right? We lose sight of Jesus all the time. And so theologian R. Kent Hughes, he says this about that. I have this up on your screen. The tragedy of our times is that men and women have lost their eyes for the unseen and believe and hope and work in the visible. Hughes continues by saying this. Because Paul's focus was on the future resurrection and transformation, he was squeezed but not squashed, bewildered but not befuddled, pursued but not abandoned, Knocked down, but not knocked out. It's axiomatic. I have to look this word up. It means obvious. It's obvious. Our future hopes determine how we live in the present. The question is, how are our futures? What are you living for? It's never too late to get it right. Don't waste your life. Man, when I read this, I was so convicted. Church, what are we living for when we can answer that question, everything else will be placed in the correct perspective. There's indeed something so much greater 
and glorious beyond us, and it calls to us. This is what I love so much about these verses that we're going over. It reorients and fixes our perspective about life, about suffering, about what glory is. It fills us with a huge sense of excitement and adventure because there's something out there that we cannot fully see yet, but we know it's there. We're looking for it. It's right around the corner. Look to the eternal. Let me close with this. Earlier in the intro, I gave um, the context about the Apostle Paul. He was teaching us that our sufferings have a purpose, right? It's to display the glory and the majesty of God, that we are just these ordinary uh, people, vessels, right? We're these broken and weak vessels that have this treasure, that we hold this treasure of the gospel message. And it shows us that our lives, our purpose is not about our strength and glory and our achievements, right? But it's about God and his majesty and his glory. And that's true. But here's the spin. Jesus, full of glory and majesty and beauty, he gives all of that up. He loses all of that willingly and he comes to earth as an ordinary man. He was poor. He was despised. He had no status. He was a nobody from the small, unimportant town of Nazareth. Isaiah 53, 2, 2 and 3 says this, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. But Jesus, he comes to live the perfect life of obedience to the Father. He dies a wrongful and undeserving death for us, church, for us. The King of glory gives up his glory. Instead, he suffers and serves and dies for us. Us, undeserving, ungrateful, unworthy, self-serving, selfish, sinful people. How crazy is this gospel? God gives up his greatest treasure, his son, to make us his great treasure, his great prize. Jesus takes away the weight of our sin and he instead gives us the weight of his eternal glory. He took our greatest of suffering and afflictions that we deserved through the wrath of God's judgment so that we can now truly say that everything in this world is but a light and momentary affliction compared to the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. This is why we do not lose heart. Church, look to the eternal. Look to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you this morning heavy-hearted because we know our afflictions. We know our suffering. We know the world is suffering. And even within our church community, we have those that are hurting and broken. There's sickness and death. For our brothers Andrew and David, the Cam brothers and Tao, their father is sick right now and we are hurting for them. We know that this can't be it, Father. And you tell us that there's something more beyond this world. 
that while we're not going to get everything here in this life that we think is best for us, we know that it's building for us, it's growing us, it's preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, Father. And so we look to you, Lord. We don't dismiss our pain and suffering, Father, not at all. We walk together in it, but we can address it. We can point each other to glory. We can tell each other to hang on, hold on. Rescue is coming. All things will be made new again. So God, we praise you. We thank you for this gospel, for this story. Without it, we would be so lost. Suffering would make no sense. We pray, Father, that it would renew our hearts and spirits as we walk through this life together. This life is not easy, Father. There is so much that is going on. But we pray, Father, for healing, even in the now. You would comfort our souls and our hearts. Help us to know that everything is not wasted. Even our suffering, even our death is not wasted. We long for all things to be reversed and made new. And one day we will know why everything has happened. But until then, give us the faith and the eyes to see you, to trust you, to be comforted by you. Be with us, Father. We love you. In Christ's name, amen.